So good morning again. I'm Bill Walters, and I'm here to speak to you about being entrusted with time. And before we get into it, I want you to take what you just may have experienced through the, through the singing of those songs and kind of capture it and hold on to it, because that was an important part of our sermon today. That wasn't just the appetizer. The worship and music never is. But that was the meat, part of the meat of the sermon today. So capture it. Think of those feelings. Blessed is the Lord God Almighty. He is worthy. Jesus is all to us. Hold on to that for a second. We're going to get into it here in a little, in just a moment. But I, as I said, I'm talking about our, I'm, I'm talking about entrusted with time. It's part of our series, the Entrusted series, and uh, we previously spoke about being entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with doctrine, entrusted with relationships, entrusted with spiritual gifts, and entrusted with finances. So today we're talking about time. And when, John, uh, when Pastor John first asked me to do this, he said to me, we, we thought of you, I, I had offered to, to preach, I'm excited about doing it, and I, I love doing it. And uh, I had offered, and he said, hey, we, we think we have an opportunity, an opportunity for you. You can speak about time. You seem like a guy, you're an elder, and you have, your family is reasonably uh, behaved, uh, other, and uh, you, you haven't been fired from your job lately, so we think you can balance time. So you can, we think you can talk about time. And I said, yeah, yeah, I can talk about time. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind is, boy, I'm going to give a rousing speech today. I am going to charge these guys up to spend the precious time they have serving the Lord. I'm going to say things like, a, like maybe a football coach would say, like, who am I looking at? A bunch of losers? No way. You're winners. Come on. Go beat the thing. The team. Or maybe if I got really energized, I might uh, give this speech. And dying in our beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all of the days from this day to the next to tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they can never take our freedom? That's what I thought I was going to do. Then I started looking into God's Word, and it, it changed me a little bit. It changed our direction today. So we're going to let God's Word lead us as we proclaim it today, as I proclaim it, and I trust the Holy Spirit works in your hearts as I do. But the first thing we have to think about is what is time? I say to you, we're entrusted with time, and I want to make sure uh, we're on the right page here with God's Word, the thing that He, he showed me in His Word. So I'm, I, I say to you, time, you think something. And I want... I surveyed my life group to see what that might be. What is that word that, that people might think when they think about time? And um, it, some of the answers were interesting. One member of the life group came back and said, Does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? Now, this part happens to be a particularly rebellious pastor's daughter who's in my life group, and I happen to be married to her. So it was not unexpected. But all the other members came back with what I think you may be thinking right now. That is, time is a measurement. And indeed it is. Time, we use time as a measurement. We've come up with these cycles. Early man uh, discovered that it got dark, and then it got light, it got dark, and then it got light. And uh, 
and he came up with measurements. The Egyptians saw 12 uh, star patterns in the sky, so they had 12 divisions of the night, and then to balance it out, they had 12 divisions of the day, and that's where our 24-hour day comes from. The Babylonians love the number 60, so they came up with 60, and that's why we have 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour. That's why we have those things. And um, I'm going to click this thing now, Cade. Okay, so we're, ta- we're thinking about what is time. Early man, they came up with these uh, ways to tell time. So this is Stonehenge. It was an early calendar. Now, when you see that, when you see Stonehenge, you may think of the religious rituals that we think went on there. And of course, like, uh, like sinful men do, the scientists came up with a, with a thing, a calendar, and they started worshiping not the God who created the the, the, the world, but the, the calendar. They worship the calendar itself. That's a problem we all have. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they found out a way to measure time. So time is a cycle, right? It's just this constant cycle. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock goes the clock. It never changes, right? Well, then this famous science man came along. And uh, I'm a science man myself, I think. I don't know if other scientists consider me so, but at least I think I'm a science man. I earn a living being a science man, kind of. I'm an engineer, so it's kind of science. But um, this famous science man, he said that depending on the speed that you're traveling, time might be different. So if you're, that's why we have these movies about astronauts in a spaceship going almost the speed of light, and they come back a year later, and the planet has been taken over by apes or something like that, because that, Einstein thought of that idea. So is time constant, or does it change depending on what speed you're going? Or does anyone, as my wife said, does anyone really care what time it is? Uh, if, if, a to- if a clock ticks in a forest and there's no man around to hear it tick, does anyone care? If there's no person who's got a lifespan, a living and dying, if there's not even a tree in the forest, if a clock ticks in a vacuum 10 trillion trillion times and there's no one there watching a, a day and a night or a life, does anyone really care? Well, we're going to talk about that. So today's verse is Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. And um, that says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. That is our verse for today. And that is where I picked up on that maybe God doesn't think of time in the same way we do, at least in this part of his word. So we're going to talk today about making the best use of time. But first I want to address a couple things that are a little different than what we're going to talk about today. One is eternity. Eternity's kind of a measure of time, right? It means time never stops. It just goes on and on and on. And we know that God is eternal. Psalm 92 Psalm 92 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is eternal. Uh, He doesn't really care about time. Are there any clocks in heaven? Or are they uh, maybe like on the shelf of like, look at this antique. People used to have to worry about this clock ticking. But, you know, Revelation says there's no day and night in heaven. There's no cycles. So there's no clocks. So God is eternal. Now get ready for your minds to be blown. All right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are eternal. Time doesn't really mean the same thing it means for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Do you believe you're an an eternal being? Do you? I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you to say, I am eternal, okay? One, two, three. Okay, that was pretty good. I want to hear a little bit louder, though, because I'm going to tell the second service you guys did really good, okay? One, two, three. I am eternal. All right, you're an eternal being. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? We don't have to worry about death. It's conquered. We don't die. The clock doesn't mean the same thing to us that it means to a person who's going to die. And every day is one of their last. So we are eternal. So we're going to talk. That's going to be kind of worked into what we talk about when we talk about here making the best use of time. But I also, I, there's a couple of things that might be rattling in your mind if you, if you know your Bible. And that is verses on our brevity. James 4.14 says, uh, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears. Uh, there, there's Psalms like 103.15, We are grass or flowers that wither. Psalm 90 says, Teach us to number our days, thinking about how limited they are. So there, are, there is one way the Bible speaks to us about how limited we are, how we're a mist, how small we are. I believe in the context of those, those verses, it's trying to contrast to God and to trying to try to put us in our place a little bit because we have this way don't we of thinking that we're pretty cool thinking that we're pretty special and sometimes we even think like when we just said a moment ago we are eternal we might even in the back of our mind think wow I did a good job I became eternal these verses are saying no God did it you are just like nothing without him and those verses remind us of that but in the big picture we are eternal and what changed my mind about how I was going to talk to you about time today was when I looked into the, the Greek words. Um, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's important sometimes to look. You know, like words like love have different meanings, and we just translate it to the English word love, and it has different meanings. So does time. And I thought I was going to see chronos, the Greek word chronos, a space of time, a fixed time. And that's used in the Bible, like in Acts 1-7, where it says, He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons. Or in Matthew 2-7, it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He wanted to know the time on the clock, the time and the date. That's Kronos. But I didn't see Kronos in this verse right here, Ephesians 5:15-16. I saw Kairos. It's an opportune or seasonable time. So what we're going to talk about today is not make the best use of the time on the clock. Don't make the best use of that tick, 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 or that that hourglass where the, the sand is going down and down and down and down, eventually goes empty. We're going to talk about making the best use of an opportunity, the opportunity that you have to do something at this specific point in your eternal life while you're here on this earth. And it changes our attitude a little bit about how we look at time. You know, we're frantic sometimes. We're busy. Our schedules are busy. Time, time. I don't have enough time. I'm busy. I'm busy. I want to change your mind a little bit. Time is not like this illustration we're about to go to right here. This is an anti-illustration of how we're not supposed to think about time.
Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? Feel like your schedule is so full that you're diffusing a time bomb that's going to go off at some point and that if you don't cut the right wire, everything's going to blow up? That's how I feel a lot of the times. Schedule's just so packed, it's nerve-wracking, you can get into panics at some time. But that's not our definition of time for today. Our definition of time is one, you, at this point on this earth, it's an opportunity to do blank. And we're going to talk about that opportunity. So, before we do that, or how we're going to do that, is through the book of Ephesians. And I want to thank uh, Tim for putting that great set together today, and the choir, and the and IOP. They were building a crescendo of doctrine for you, and that's what Ephesians does. Ephesians 1 through 3. It builds a crescendo of doctrine that then motivates us to do the thing that we're going to talk about today. So... I would love to preach on Ephesians 1 through 3. Pastor Boone, I think, took about a year to do that when he first came on staff here. Uh, I'm going to do it now in one minute. But uh, the choir helped me a lot, the choir and IOP and Tim, because they were building these concepts. So remember I said, put in your bank that, that sense you had as you were singing those songs about our wonderful God. And then think of words like blessed, we are blessed. Love, God loves us. Redemption through His blood, not just redemption through some, some impersonal thing, but His Jesus' actual blood. Lavished, He lavished. Excessive love was poured on us. He has a plan. He's gonna, in time, He's going to unite everything together. We have hope. We have riches. God has been rich to us. He has immeasurable great, immeasurable great power toward us. He raised Jesus from the dead. He defeated the, the strongest, most powerful thing that no one in this world can defeat other than taxes. You can't defeat death or taxes, right? Well, that's a, that's a funny thing because it's taxes you could... But the death is the thing you can't really defeat. He raised Jesus from the dead. And then seated at the right hand, Jesus is at the hand of honor. He's far above. He's above every name. All things are under his feet. He fills all in all. We sang that song all to us. He fills everything. And then Ephesians goes on and it says, We were dead. We were like a dead, stinky carcass on the side of the road full of maggots. But what did God do? God, rich in His mercy, while we were dead and unable to do anything, through the great love with which He loved us, He made us alive together with Christ. This is what our wonderful God, who we bless and we praise and we sing to, has done for us. And then Paul says towards the end of Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 3, after he said all these wonderful things about God and reminded us about this great God who, who loved us for no other reason than that, than that he's a glorious, loving being. And he, he let his precious son, he sent his precious son to the cross to spill blood for us. And his precious son allowed, willingly went to the cross for us. He says, after all that, after thinking about all that and the love that was lavished in richness on you, he bows his knees before the Father. He prays that we comprehend and know the love of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how chapter 3 ends. So I've just preached all of Ephesians 1 through 3 to you. To glory forever and ever. Amen. And what does he say after that? We must be leading up to something. Right, Paul? Indeed we are. Ephesians 4.1 then says... Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 
after this great crescendo of doctrine and reminding us who God is and who we are in Him and what He's done for us, He says, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And this is something Paul does in a number of his letters. Colossians is another one that, that mirrors the same pattern. It has a verse very similar to it in, in it. Paul builds up this crescendo of doctrine and then tells us, do something. What are we supposed to do? What, Paul? What? What should we do? Okay. Well, that's the verse that he says. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is it, Paul? Well, he doesn't give us an agenda. Okay, here's what you're going to do. I want you to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I want you to do your devotions. I want you to go to work. I want you to come home, take care of the kids, and cook the dinner, and da 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 He doesn't even tell us how to do church exactly in an agenda. He doesn't say, this is how you're going to do church. Do this thing, then do that thing, then make sure you do this other thing. We don't, he doesn't give us an agenda. What he gives us is how to live, how to make the best use of time. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 2, says, For we are, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are these works? Well, first one is to be holy. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to be holy. Ephesians 1.4 says, we were predestined to be holy and blameless. Second Peter 1.16 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's quoting the Old Testament, Leviticus, where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. How can we be holy? Okay, we get it. We have an opportunity here on this, in this time. It's not about an agenda. It's not about a ticking clock. It's an opportunity. What do we do? What do we do? We be holy and we be pure. Ephesians 5.3 says, Be, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Paul reiterates that at least two other times in Ephesians and expands on that theme, saying we should not be sinners. We will not inherit the kingdom of God if we are sinners. Now, we know we are sinners saved by grace, and that sin, we don't become perfected when we get saved by grace. There's always some sin in us. But the repetitive sin in our life should be getting cleaned out, and the sin of denying that Jesus is God, and that God is God, should be completely gone from our lives. We need to be pure and living holy lives. That's the first thing we do when we make the best of this opportunity we have right now. We be holy. The next thing is love. We're, Ephesians 5.2 says, Walk and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We've talked about all this love that God had for us and how he lavished us. He poured, he's just slathered, goopy amounts of extra love all over us. We talked about how he did that for us. And then we're not supposed to love. We're supposed to be just kind of bitter, grumpy beings. No, not at all. That would be, that would be terrible. We're to love. Ephesians 4.2 says, bearing with one another. That's us, the church. Bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth 
in love. We're to speak the truth in love to one another. That's what we're all about here, church. We're about love and loving one another. And then the next thing we're supposed to do as we're, we're looking at how we are to use this opportunity we have, we're to grow. We're to grow in Christ, Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. <clears throat> I guess in God's sovereignty, he could, he could have made his plan that we get saved, we check off the box, and then we just sort of stay stagnant and don't really do a whole lot. We just kind of just be us. But he didn't do it that way. He said we're to grow. We're to grow in holiness. We're to grow in love. We're to grow in imitation of him more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ. We're to grow. This is tied in with our series on being entrusted with gifts and finances. We're to use the gifts, the spiritual gifts we have. We employ those to serve one another. We use finances to help our hearts grow in generosity. And it helps the church when that generosity is is focused towards the church. So that's our tie-in with the other parts of the Entrusted series. And then the next thing he sa- it says in Ephesians, that we're, as we're, how are we to spend this opportunity? We're to conduct our relationships in a holy and God-honoring way. Ephesians 5:22 through 6:9 talks about how we're to be in our marriages, how parents and children are to behave toward each other, how we are to be as workers and employers towards our employees. Relationships are very important to God, and that ties in with our entrusted with relationships part of the series. And by the way, that wasn't really planned. That just kind of came together. I was like, oh, this all ties into the other parts of the series. This is cool. And then the next thing we're supposed to be is be light. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're to be light in this dark world. We're to be speaking about the hope of eternal life in Jesus that we have. That's a tie-in with Pastor John's sermon on Entrusted with the Gospel. We're to be telling people this good news that we have, that Jesus Christ made a way for us to have eternal life. We're eternal beings. And you, person I'm talking to, don't have to be... uh, Constrain a prisoner of that tick-tocking clock, you can be eternal too. Want to hear about that? And this also ties into a very unique part of our opportunity that we have here at this time. While we're walking this earth in these particular uh, perishing bodies, this is the only time in our eternal life that we can glorify God in the face of evil. In heaven, we won't have that. There will be no evil there. We'll just be glorifying God just, just up there with no evil around. This is the only opportunity we have to make him known in the presence of evil. You, at the end of our verse there, uh, Ephesians 5:15 and 16, it says, Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There's something special about this opportunity we have. It lifts God up higher when it's all dark and all of a sudden the light just boo, dispels dispels the darkness and he is there and he's glorified somehow in a very special way and we have that opportunity right right now it's very unique we'll never have it again uh, once we die and uh, make the best use of it 
get, help be a, a light that gets rid of the darkness in this world. And it is a dark world, is it not? I mean, you don't have to look too far from the newspaper or the online blog thing that you look at, the Twitters or whatever. You don't have to look very far to see that um, people are killing the babies inside their wombs because they want to have... Uh, they don't want to have the inconvenience of it, or they, they feel it will affect their employment or their life or something. Uh, people in other countries are just murdering each other to gain power and, and wealth and, and control of resources. It's a dark world. We need to be light. So we need to make the best use of this opportunity we have to be light. And that is the how of how we're supposed to use this opportunity. Be holy, love, grow, relationships, and light. And now I do want to give you a little bit of application. So I do now want to get in a little bit to the, they can't take our freedom, all right? So let's get fired up a little bit for some application. First of all, remember, this is an opportunity. It's not a ticking time bomb that you have to be freaked out about. And it's, uh, oh, i got to do the thing. Which wire? Which wire? The red wire or the blue wire? Uh-oh. It's not that. It's an opportunity we have to glorify God and to serve Him and to love Him. And then um, remember, it's not, we're not, it's not a what, but a how. I know there are specific times in our lives we have to make decisions and we seek God in prayer. We look for His will. In fact, Ephesians 5.17 says, Know God's will. We need to understand His will when we're making a big decision. But... Um, I think, now this is me speaking, so you can use your discernment and uh, check me later. You can yell at me later if you think I'm wrong. But I think when those big decisions come up and you have to decide between the red wire and the blue wire, go to college, don't go to college, who should I marry, who should I not marry, I don't think God is worried so much about red wire or blue wire. I think he's worried about how you behave yourself, how holy you are, how you imitate him when you make the decision. So it's not about the what so much. He will guide you. He's sovereign. He knows the hairs on your head and everything about you, and he will guide you. But if you make a mistake, he's not going to say like, ah, you blew it. He's going to say, walk with me through this mistake, and we'll, we'll give you, I'll give you power to, uh, to make it right or to glorify me as you live out this mistake this, uh, that you've that you've done or this decision that you've done that wasn't the perfect thing if there is any such thing as a perfect decision for us. But when you're discerning his will, there are ways to do it. You, um, you, know, you look into his word to make sure it's consistent. You look for counsel from trusted Christian brothers and sisters. You look for the opportunities that are, are around you and then you pray for the confirmation in your heart. So I'm not saying it's not important to discern his will and to pray for it. It's how you do it that's the most important thing though. And then when it comes to using this opportunity we have, don't waste time, all right? I've already said we're eternal, and you have forever, but don't watch TV for the rest of this time you're walking around on this earth, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Don't waste time. Ephesians 5.18 says, um, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery is, uh, comes from a French word which means to entice a worker away from his work and, and have him goof off. We're not to have that. And other versions say it is dissipation. just takes the energy and the, the opportunity God's given you and just, just dissipates it away. Don't waste time doing nonsense. And you know what I mean. 
And then don't freak out, all right? A famous poster from World War II that the British people put up. Keep calm and carry on. Don't freak out. Ephesians 5, 19 through 20 says, Addressing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of a person who's not freaking out. They're singing songs in the, in the midst of trial. They're singing. They're giving thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but it, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. God's got this. Sing to Him. Pray to Him. Sing to one another. Don't freak out. And then balance in your life is important. I, I, I learned this somewhere along the way. I think it was through the Top Gun men's ministry we had here. I've, I've uh, counseled this to my kids. You're not a, like an NFL kicker, right? A kicker's really good at one thing. Boy, oh boy, he can take that ball and he can use his foot and he can kick it really far up through those posts. But ask him to tackle. You ever see like when the, when the runner gets past all the other guys and, and the kicker's got to tackle, it's like... He doesn't know what... All he does is kick. You're not a kicker. You are a pentathlete. All right? You've got to do many things well in order to win. So you've got to have balance in your life between family, work, and church. And remember, there's a season for everything. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's different seasons. This might be a season where you're very busy doing one thing. Another season, you're going to be very busy doing another thing. I can attest... Older folks told me that when your kids grow up, you have a little more time to serve and to do some things. It's true, okay? I love teasing my friends who are retired, retired now, especially in our life group. When they, I say, what would you do today after I got home from work and rushed to life group? They say like, oh man, I was so busy today. I had to go to the doctor and get a haircut. Oh, just I'm beside myself with how busy I was. Okay, there's a season in your life where you'll have more time to do some things. So balance, a season for everything. And don't forget to enjoy. God created us to enjoy this, what he's given us here. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9 says, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. We need to enjoy a little bit. Don't make an idol out of enjoying. Don't overdo it. Make the best use of this opportunity, but don't forget to enjoy. And then be strong in prayer. Ephesians ends with speaking about the armor of God. It says, finally, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And it tells us to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. It tells us to, to be ready with the gospel of peace, to have the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's what gets us through that's what makes sure we're making the best opportunity of this time so being entrusted with time means making the best of the opportunity to imitate God and glorify him by how we shine in the darkness I pray that uh, you will make the best of this opportunity my if you know the Lord and Jesus Christ as your Savior if you don't the first opportunity you have to seize is to accept the offer of eternal life that he has given you. None of this makes any sense if you don't accept that. And I talked about how I'm a science guy and I put up science man's face there. I enjoy science. 
Um, but my, my heart, every, every preacher who gets up here and talks to you has a heart for different things, different personalities that come in. My heart is if you're a person being drawn to the Lord and science is standing in the way, if you think scientists have it all figured out, don't be like the people who saw the great calendar that the scientists came up with at Stonehenge and start worshiping the Stonehenge. All right? Our scientists, they think they have it figured all out. They'll even mock us Christians for, think, for believing in fairy tales and things like that. Don't believe them. They're just like the Stonehenge builders of, of, of old. They don't know how matter was created. They don't know how you or that pew right there was created, and yet the Bible says God created. Uh, they can't explain how life started. They have this theory of evolution, but they can't explain the Precambrian explosion where all this life all of a sudden is evident in the, in the fossil record. They don't know. So I ask you science people, at least give God's Word the courtesy of doing the same thing you do with science. Take the facts and make a conclusion. Facts are, we have creation. God said He created it. We see intelligence in the DNA in our bodies. God is intelligent, and He says He created that. Why search around for other things like the God particle and all this nonsense, that's all these science things that are out there? Just make the conclusion. God said he did it. It's there. Use your eyes. Use your senses. Make the conclusion. Look into his word. Accept the offer of eternal life that Jesus is giving to you right now. If that idea intrigues you, please speak to me after or the people down here for the prayer or people in the prayer room in the back here. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great opportunity that we have to glorify you and to imitate you on this earth in the face of darkness and uh, to be eternal with you someday when we move to the next phase where the clock is no longer uh, no longer dictates what we do help us father help thank you jesus for making it possible holy spirit i pray you take these truths and and put them deep in our hearts it's in your name we pray jesus amen